This is the last part of the series on the New Apostolic Reformation. Welcome to the Youth Apologetics Training Podcast. Welcome back. This is Michael Bohm, and yeah, the Youth Apologetics Training Podcast. We are going to be hearing from tonight the last of the two guests uh, that we had on this group phone call uh, talking about the new Apostolic Reformation and uh, all the different people that are part of this group that had experiences with this movement. Again, it really does feel like a cult. Tonight we're going to be hearing from Trisha, who is also one of the authors of the book uh, Narrow is the Way, Have You Really Found It?, Um, as well as the other booklet, uh, Beware of the New Apostolic Reformation, uh, which she uh, co-wrote both of these books with Merle Hansel. Uh, And so, yeah, tonight we're going to be hearing from both of them, as well as we're going to hear a little bit more from Merle. Now, tonight on the podcast, a little bit of a legal disclaimer here. You're going to be hearing uh, two testimonies, one from Trisha and one from uh, Joy. And uh, like I said before, there are uh, some theological differences that you're going to hear tonight. Uh, That is okay. Uh, The point here is to listen to their testimonies and really get a feel for what this movement is like. Again, it's very cult-like. There's a lot of control. Uh, you get that that uh, uh, covering theology that seems to be uh, rampant in this new apostolic Reformation movement. It seems like everywhere you go, everyone you talk to uh, will say the same thing. Blindly submit to your pastor if you question anything that the leadership is doing, or worse yet, you question their favorite apostles or, or, or prophets, um, you're going to find yourself in trouble with the movement. Uh, you'll start being, uh, in a sense, chastised by your church. And uh, in many cases, people are eventually pushed out of their church. Uh, a lot of times they're just removed from leadership, but sometimes it goes even further than that. So anyway, without further ado, let's go ahead and jump right in. We're going to hear from Trisha first, and then we'll hear from Joy after that. And then lastly, we're going to hear a few more things uh, from Merle Hansel. And with that, we're going to start off by hearing from Trisha Pell about her experiences with the new apostolic reformation. My story is different because I was not brought up Christian. I as a young child, knew that there was a God and that he made the earth. And so I started searching for him when I was about 10 years old. And my girlfriend and I started playing with a Ouija board in our teens. And um, we would call, I could call up spirits on the Ouija board. And I had a propensity towards clairvoyancy. And as I got older, um, my husband and I, my second husband and I got into 
the deeper occult teachings of Edgar Cayce and Jane Roberts and the Rosicrucians and I still practice this clairvoyant thing and so I was really a mess and the deeper I got and you know I then really liked the new age not by name so much but by practice and what it was all about. I really liked that, and I was going for it full force. And I noticed that I went from a happy, open person to a very dire, very depressed. I was in my early 20s. I just was a mess. And um, it caused being in the level of the occult that I was in, I didn't make always wise choices about life decisions, which bore its own fruit. And um, by the time I had hit rock bottom, I was living in West Virginia with two, my husband, two adopted children from his first marriage and an infant. Um, We were going back to the land. We were hippies. We were building a log cabin by hand in West Virginia with just an axe, a draw knife, and a horse. Oh, wow. Yeah, we lived in a tent. You know, (laughs) I cooked three meals a day on an open fire. Yeah, we did the whole hippie thing. (laughs) So, by the, and what we didn't understand about West Virginia, if you weren't born and raised there, you were not going to get a job. But the neighborhood knew who we were, and they liked us because we were funny and so odd, these city slickers out here in the woods. So they would give my husband work here and there, and we we scraped through. But it was tight and tough. And it was at that time, after my baby was born, that I herniated the lower discs in my back. And most days I couldn't walk. And with three children, that's not a good place to be. I was in incredible pain. The closest doctor was over two hours away. And I was just desperate. And my mother was frantic. She lived in Virginia, my home. And um, she called her neighbor, and, and they started praying for me. And I finally was so bad, I just could not lift my child. I So, long story short, I went home to my mother, (laughs) and I then was invited by her neighbor to go to a breakfast. And because I never got out of the house in West Virginia, going anywhere was just sure, absolutely. So, we went to a ladies' meeting that was serving a brunch. And when I walked into the room, this love that I had never sensed before, it was overwhelming, and it freaked me out. And I didn't understand it, and I wanted to just leave. Of course, it was the enemy trying to pull me in a different direction. But I stayed. And um, I was a little interested when... Some of the ladies during the worship time would start singing in the spirit, and different ones around the room had instruments 
and they would play these instruments and sing in the spirit. And, and by that, you mean you mean uh, they would sing in tongues then, right? Glossolalia? Yes. Okay. Yes, yes. And I knew in that instant that this was the God I was looking for, that it was Jesus that I was looking for. And so that day I gave my life to the Lord. And the Glow ladies were really helpful. They taught me the Bible. They, they, you know, they were trying to straighten me out. But it took a, it took a series of years because I went back to West Virginia and I still was not spirit filled. I was just born again, didn't know the word, but I knew I was different. I knew something serious had happened in my life. And I tried to read the Bible. I found my grandmother's Bible, and I tried to read it, and it was like Babel. I couldn't understand it. I, I can read fine, but it wasn't going into me. And it was because of the occult block. And so for two years, I struggled through until we moved back to Virginia. And at that point, I went back to the Aglow Bible Studies. And I received the Holy Spirit. And after I received the Holy Spirit, I could sit down and read the Bible. And I understood it, and it was clear, it was concise, and the whole world of God opened up to me. And I was so amazed and so blessed. And it took me still a couple of years to completely get out and away from um, I wasn't practicing anything occult, but it was just mindsets. It was thought patterns. Oh, sure. And all of these things, yeah, had to change, and they did. And so Aglow was very instrumental and helpful in that time, which was in um, uh, the late 70s, early 80s. <clears throat> and I continued to go to church. I went to a Methodist church. The preacher only preached the word. That was incredible because I learned so much. Oh, yeah. And then I went to an Episcopal church, and I stayed there. And But even though I was in a church, I always found a Bible study to be in because I just love the word. And so I would go to a Bible study during the week or on Friday night, and then I would go to church on Sunday with the kids. And that was my life. Um, the next church I went to was very good. It was the best church I was ever in. It was an Assembly of God church. He preached the word, and it was biblically correct in its practice. And it was a blessing to know what it is to truly be in a Christian fellowship. Hmm. And um, then we moved to Rehoboth Beach, and I was in a Bible study there. And then we moved to York, Pennsylvania. York, Pennsylvania is a very large witches. They're very heavily dominating in the area of York, Pennsylvania. Hmm. And you can feel the oppression when you cross the border from from uh, Maryland into um, Pennsylvania. It's that heavy. And it was really hard for me, but I it was I think it was like a test for me. And 
we found kind of a word of faith church, and it wasn't horrible. He did preach the word, and the works and the fellowship were good and clean, and nothing crazy was going on until the very end when they brought in uh, Rod- Rodney Brown oh. with, the, with the laughing thing. Oh, yeah. And we thought that was a little weird, but the pastor got caught doing drugs, and so he got kicked out, and we just left the fellowship. We were we were done. The next church we were in was a was I don't know what it was. It was <laughs> it was a mess. It was in transition, and we didn't realize it when we started going. And um, I had I had been working with a lady in Virginia and another lady in Pennsylvania that had banner ministries, and I started making liturgical banners for parades because my mindset was if we get these big banners on the street, people are going to know because it has the name of Jesus on it. It has, they were all extremely scriptural, and because I'm an artist and I love to dance, I had a dance flag and banner ministry. And um, some of the girls wanted to do, you know, on my dance team, wanted to do different kind of things. And I always had this strict standard of following the Word. If it's not in the Word and we can't minister the Word in that in a visual way, then we're not doing it. Okay. And everything we ever did, people would come to the Lord. It always had that catch on it for people to come to the Lord, and they did, or they were extremely blessed. And, I mean, we were in, we would go into black churches, we would go into Baptist churches, we did a concert with every kind of church you could imagine, we probably ministered, a couple thousand people saw us that night, and it, it was just God, it had nothing to do with me, it was just God, and because it was so important that the people went away knowing how much God loved them and how mighty and wonderful he is. And so towards the end of it, the church started getting really strange. There was all this inner turmoil. People in the leadership were dying. Um, There was a lot of strife and just division, and I was in the back. We were getting ready to minister that Sunday, and the Lord said, get out of this church. It's going to burn. And I said, okay, and two weeks later, we closed everything up and left. And that church now is part of the New Apostolic Reformation. But God warned us and got us out. And we then moved to the Philadelphia area, where I went back into the former ladies' fellowship movement that I was in before as a young Christian. I ended up being the president of a chapter in Pennsylvania. And because I was the president, I felt that I needed to go to the international conference and the national conferences. they had one each year, um, either the international or the national. 
and Chuck Pierce was on the board at that time, and C. Peter Wagner had been on the board during that time, and um, it was just off. I, I would hear the speaker speak, but it had that babble feeling to it, like they weren't really preaching the Word at all. It was concepts that were contrary to the Word of God. And so I was then transferred to all places, Texas. <laughs> and now, you know, my children are grown, um, My and we were in a state, and we were in the belt buckle of the Bible belt. And so I thought, oh, it's going to be no problem finding a great church. Not so. I mean, it's crazy down here. But at that time, we decided to go to a church that was very close to our home. And it seemed to be biblically based when we started going there. And I would do the before service prayer. My husband worked in the parking lot. And... We were just being faithful servants. And it went from, you have to tithe, you have to tithe, you have to tithe. I mean, that was the sermon. There was a cross in the sanctuary. It had, it seemed like a really good Christian church, and the pastors did teach some semblance of the word. And um, the senior pastor was a very good teacher. And... Um, they brought in a new pastor that had been a youth pastor at the main church. There were five different branches of this same church. And he was very motivational. He was very evangelical. But it just, at first he hit me okay, and then the longer we sat there, the more strange things became. It was more motivational. Um, if we even had a home group for a while, um, and I had asked them if I could serve communion after we would pray for the nation, and he, they said, no, 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 you can't do that. And I thought, well, that's strange because I can do that. And, um, and then they took the cross out of the sanctuary, and the last Sunday we were there, uh, the, the pastor did the big, um, what do they call it, cast the vision. Oh. Cast, yeah, he cast the vision and he said, no matter whatever God is calling you to do, you have to follow the vision of the pastor. And if you're not on page with that, don't come back, was basically what he was saying. Hmm. And I said, okay, I'm not coming back. And we didn't go back. That was it. That was the last straw. And um, I had perfect peace with not going back to that church because <clears throat> it was just off. And it is what NAR does. They cast the vision, and that's what they do. But I do want to go back and talk for just a minute about my last experience uh, with this women's ministry. I started a Bible study chapter in the town I'm living in. And I was the president again. 
and I'd been sworn in, the whole thing was done, did all the paperwork, and um, it was going fairly well, but there was this constant push for me to earn money. And I kept thinking, the Holy Spirit just kept saying, no, no. And I thought, okay, there's a conflict here that I don't understand, because if this was in the will of God, the money wouldn't be such a huge issue, and salvation would be a huge issue. But it wasn't, and some of the ladies that were in the other chapters around me seemed to be very involved with C. Peter Wagner and Chuck Pierce. His church is very close to where I live. And so um, I felt like the Lord was telling me to to drop it, to, to close it down. I called the headquarters in the state of Washington, and I I said I sent my paperwork in to back out of it, and I called them and told them that I had would no longer do this. And about five, six weeks later, I got a phone call from a board member at the headquarters, and they wanted to know why I stepped down. And so I talked to them about. Um, the disregard for the Word of God, the direction, and, you know, my other concerns. And I was told by this person that the Bible wasn't important anymore, that it was an old book written by old men, and that if I was teaching doctrine, I was being divisive. Hmm. And she said, we're moving into new revelation now, and it's wonderful, and it's great. And I said, well, you, you are mistaken. There is no new revelation. Jesus Christ is the revelation, and none other. And she said, well, no, Graham Cook has new revelation from God, and it is oh. just wonderful. Oh, and I boy. said, my dear, you have been warned. God has warned you personally to get out. And if you don't, I'm so sorry, but you have been warned. And I hung up the phone, and that was it. And um, through my other research, um, through the UN, um, through Common Core, and through this One World Church, I finally stumbled on to the New Apostolic Reformation and started reading books. And um, that's it. But it's it's like I, I always got to the point where I could have been really messed up, but God drew me out and protected me. And so I praise God for that, that we, we, we were unscathed pretty much. And um, I just have to praise God for it and his word. His word is faithful to help us. And so that's my testimony. Hmm. Yeah, it's funny. It's interesting what you brought up there that uh, through looking into uh, various things that some people might think are kind of tinfoil haddish, but uh, looking into the idea that there will be a one world government, there will be a one world church, that actually led you kind of backwards, backtracking to 
the new apostolic right. reformation and um <clears throat> you know i i believe that they will play a role in that last days uh one world religion when you take doctrine and set it aside and say we're going for something new god is doing something new uh-huh. and then you have other uh groups such as uh the the uh mormons who also will follow after the words of quote-unquote prophets and uh, will put the Bible on the back burner. You know, they, they definitely don't compromise on their Book of Mormon or their Doctrine and Covenants, but they're okay with uh, fudging with the text of the Bible. Right. They, they still believe the Bible's Word of God, absolutely. They just completely change what it means. Uh, and then you have the Roman Catholics uh, yeah. who have a pope who can change, add to, take away, because whatever he says, uh, ex cathedra from the chair, is equal with Scripture. Or, well, they'll say equal with Scripture, but basically greater than Scripture, really, when you you get down to it. And all these groups are, are converging. There are ties between the New Apostolic Reformation and the Roman Catholics, and there are ties between the Roman Catholics and the Mormons, there are even some ties between the Mormons and the New Apostolic Reformation, and there are other groups like the New Agers, who are not so cool with the New Apostolic Reformation, but you're starting to see some of their, uh, just like you mentioned, some of the New Age practices are being found within the Word of Faith movement. Yeah. And, and the Word of Faith movement is kind of a, pretty much a lot of the Word of Faith movement is finding itself in the new apostolic reformation at this point. So and into more occult practices. And here's the thing, the new apostolic model of the ascending church they're building on earth is exactly the same pattern as the new age where it's almost invisible to the naked eye and the hierarchy isn't in a big church somewhere, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it just has that same layout like a spider web. Yeah. And you jump in wherever you jump in, and you may not even be aware at first that it is, quote, New Age or, quote, New Apostolic Reformation. But they do mirror one another in their setup and their hierarchy and um yes and another one that if you want to do a warning is oh his last name is walsh oh neil donald walsh uh-huh yes yeah he is he is the slickest new age <laughs> mess and he's done you know conversations with god and he's written several books and a lot of Christians are reading his books. Yes, yes. You know, it's I hate very, this. Go ahead. No, it's it's dangerous. Having been there and done that, I can tell you the deeper you get into either the kundalini spirit through the laying on of hands in a uh, uh, one of these revivals like Toronto or... Mm-hmm. Uh, Brownsville or Toronto, uh, the one in Florida, Lakeland. Lakeland, yep. Odd Bentley. Yes. That Kondalini <laughs> spirit is very 
difficult to get rid of. It is a clinger. And uh, many people suffer for years with this thing before they even realize that they have it because Mm. they think it's a manifestation of the Holy Spirit, and it is not. It is a kundalini spirit. Yeah. No, I I couldn't agree more. Um, When you you see these books or these claims, when people say that, uh, you know, God took me to heaven or God appeared to me and spoke to me or, you know, God said this, God said that this is a new revelation. Um, I always take a step back because in, in that claim is, is somewhat of a a concealed claim that what is about to follow, what they, what, what they're going to say, God said, if it's God, I mean, that's a claim that it's equal to scripture. You know, God's right. word. You see what I'm saying? So yeah. <clears throat> so it's always dangerous. Whenever I see a book that says, I was taken to heaven, I, I, I outright, I reject it right away. And yeah. just, and it's funny because if you go and read any of these books, you find all types of things in there that contradict scripture. Right. And so you can tell that's not from God. This person was not taken to heaven. And, uh, Boy, Neil Donald Walsh, if I can say his name, Neil Donald Walsh, um, I have his Conversations with God book. One of my uh, old buddies purchased it for me and sent it to me in the mail and was like, you have to read this. And (laughs) I never got around to reading it. Uh, I mean, he sent it to me before I was a Christian. Okay, wow. and I still have it. I haven't touched it, um, but uh, one of these days I'll probably at least skim through it so I have an understanding of where this guy is coming from, and then I might even do a podcast on it unless somebody I know knows a lot about the book and would like to talk about it sometime. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, he's he's an interesting guy. Um, Eckhart yeah, Tolle. Totally yeah, there's people really slick and he's so fatherly, you know. Uh-huh. This old handsome grandfather, you know. Oh, it's disgusting. God forgive him. Uh, yes. But, um, as the new the new age is one of the set points that is going to bring a lot of this deception in through soul power. And um, it's called the latent power of the soul, and it's very dangerous. And it can lead to false signs and wonders because this stuff does have power. Mm-hmm. But it's the wrong power, and it will lead the people away from the Lord by practice. And so this was the thing that the Lord in prayer showed me. He said, Patty, people will be deceived in these last days, and three of the main things that will cause them to follow into deception is through prayer, practice, and project. And I have found that to be very true, and I pass it along. Be careful about who you pray with. Be careful about what you practice as far as spiritual things and and please when you're in a project make sure that those leading the project aren't Joel Olstein, uh, <laughs> Oprah Winfrey 
or Rick Warren. Because mm-hmm. they're, they're just three tipping points, but they're main figures and most people know them. And, and this is dangerous territory for your soul and for your spirit. And it's only, only knowing the Word of God that can bring us into the patient endurance that God is working in His people in this hour. Thank you for that. Um, all right. So, Joey, tell me, yeah, what? how did you get involved? What, you know, what was this church like that you were involved with? I just wanted to share a couple of little anecdotal things that um, happened after I started going to the church before I actually became aware that anything was amiss um, or, you know, anything that was going on. I had obviously I had never heard of the NAR this kingdom now, the um, dominionist um, theologies had not heard of any of that. Uh, but anyway, um, prior to me realizing something like that was going on, um, I was on Facebook one day. and um, But prior to that, when I first started going to the church, I had noticed that the pastor's wife had this just great big personality, and I didn't really think of it in one way or another, other than that just she was, you know, very, very outgoing. And um, it was um, just really a larger-than-life personality. And uh, that was kind of the first thing that I ever noticed um, when I started going to the church. At some point, probably, I don't know, maybe a couple of months later, and I had started going to the church in roughly May or June of 2013, a um, little time after that, I was on Facebook, and there was this conversation going back and forth uh, between the pastor's wife and uh, a girl that had either had gone to the church, or I don't think she was still going, but possibly had gone to the church. And I was watching this um, uh, conversation play out on Facebook, and just kind of thinking, wow, this just doesn't seem like a conversation that a a pastor's wife would be having. Um, And it actually kind of plays back into uh, some of the things that have been mentioned about uh, the control issue and not confronting, uh, don't question. And this girl that was having this back and forth uh, with the pastor's wife, um, the issue was that she had had asked for a position, something to do in the church. She had been given one, and when she kind of realized that it wasn't going to work for her, she apparently had gone back and asked for something else to do, and I guess the attitude was, well, either do this or we don't have anything else for you to do. Mm. So I guess there was just a lack of appreciation for somebody questioning the fact that, okay, yes, I've asked for something to do, and this just kind of doesn't seem to be a right fit. But the back and forth was just something that I thought, boy, why is this playing out on Facebook? And it was um, such a bizarre um, conversation that a few minutes later my phone rang, and it was my sister. And she said to me, Joy, she says, what is going on between the pastor's wife and this other girl. And I said to my sister, I said, you know, I said, I have no idea 
But I said, all I know is I don't ever want to cross her. And so it was almost kind of like little did I know that there was going to come a point when our paths were going to cross and it, it, it wasn't going to turn out real well. And so um, I just kind of wanted to um, share that anecdotally because little did I know that, you know, further down the road uh, what was going to happen. But nevertheless, uh, I'm going to share probably a little bit more tonight than I actually did in my testimony because I just feel led to do that. But I was raised from a child in an Assembly of God church, so I did have a foundation underneath me. Um, we were there every time the doors were open. We didn't get a choice. Uh, we were very active in the church. We spent every Monday night. Um, my father, or and actually the <clears throat> man that I'm married to now, his father and my father would uh, <clears throat> go back and forth preaching at the rescue mission. My sisters, who were a little bit older than me, would sing. We spent every Thursday night at the con- convalescent home ministering. So we were very much involved in the church and um you know, really for most of our lives. Uh, But anyway, in around May or June of 2013, I started attending um, another church. I I won't mention the denomination, but it would be right there with the AG, and um, as far as their beliefs, it's it's probably one of the biggest Pentecostal denominations um, out there. And uh, their beliefs are probably, you know, simpatico with the Assemblies of God. Um, anyway, I started going to the church, and my sister was already attending there, and a couple other people that I knew, one lady from the church that I had raised in, so I didn't really think anything, that you know, I didn't question anything about going there, never hesitated. Um, but as I started going, a couple of times or a few times, uh, the pastor would always preach a really very heavy grace message and would say things like, uh, he would apologize to the congregation uh, for preaching a mixed message on law and grace, or, or that he did that prior, that he would apologize for having done that in the past. Uh, he would talk of us not needing to wait for heaven, that you know we could have it now. And I, not having any frame of reference, I just kind of figured that you know he was figuratively speaking, and. Um, there was a large Celebrate Recovery group in the church, so I knew that his messages were not always very deep, but just, you know, really pretty much a basic um, uh, grace message. And I will share right here that the name of the band in the church was Dominion. That was oh, the name boy. of the band. They did all Jesus culture and Hillsong music. I had okay. never heard of Jesus culture. I was somewhat familiar with Hillsong um, because I had actually sang on a praise team in an AG church, and even in, you know, they did a little bit of that. I guess some of the Hillsong is actually mild (laughs) in Jesus culture stuff, but (laughs) nevertheless, they did some Hillsong, and other than that, almost exclusively Jesus culture music. Yeah. Yes. So, um, on February 4th, that was in 2013, so continued to go to church there. I did not get involved in the growth groups. Had I I think maybe something might have, um, you know, jumped out at me a little bit sooner. But um, I was, you know, faithful to go to church all the time, but I uh, didn't go to the growth groups. And I had usually sang about once a month, and I thought it kind of odd sometimes, not all the time, but 
many times they would like kind of tell me what they wanted me to sing. And I think maybe once they got to know me and knew what kind of music and stuff I would do, I don't know, maybe they, they were not that concerned, but I am sure as of this date that there were a few times I got up there and probably sang some songs that didn't really go along with their theology. So I'll just leave that at that. But uh, on February 4th of 2015, so we're talking, you know, not quite two years after I had started attending there, um, I was on Facebook one night, and one of the church members had posted a video and just happened to be on Facebook, although I realized nothing was coincidence and it was meant to be, um, and it caught my attention. I will share this tonight, which I did not do in the booklet. Um, the evangelist whose video this was, his name is Dr. Lynn Hiles. The name of the video that was shared was A Fresh Look at the End Time. So I always had been interested in Bible prophecy, and this evangelist had been to our church about a year earlier and had just really preached, you know, some heavy grace messages. And as like I say, I didn't have any frame of references, so, you know, maybe I wasn't listening as closely as I should have. All I know is he really just pretty much preached, um, you know, just very heavy grace messages. But anyway, I decided to... Um, you know, take a look at the video. He was gonna, he was going to be coming to our church at the end of February, and this was like first part of February of 2015. So I was sitting there on the sofa next to my husband. I put this video on, and I start listening, and I'm just like, I, I remember just verbally saying, no, no, no. <laughs> and he, started sharing what I would come to learn were just very um, dominionist views. And he pretty much started to dismantle the book of Revelation. And uh, was and it was the way he was preaching was the first time he had been in this church and before he got up to preach or up to speak, the pastor of that church had said that, you know, he had come to believe the things that Lynn Hiles was preaching. And actually, at the end of the sermon, after Lynn Hiles got done, he shared with his congregation how over the past year, he had shared a lot of them, a lot of this stuff with them. And the stuff that he didn't feel that he could speak outrightly, he had snuck in on them. So here's a pastor of a church saying that I just kind of snuck this stuff in on you, you know, hoping that it would kind of settle into your brain. But um, hmm. anyway, I, I continued to listen to this video, and, you know, he was saying, well, what if I told you that all of that bad stuff that you think is in your future is already in your past, and, um, you know, started talking about, you know, maybe we're just not here to hang out, maybe we're here to take over. And at one point in the beginning of the video, he start, he's talking about the rapture of the church and says, well, he says, you know, I guess if it were would happen tonight, I'm going, I'm going to go up with you. And then later in the video, he said that 
um, if you're prayed up, filled up, and ready to go up, you just might be going up in the wrong crowd because this, um, the people that are leaving this world are the wicked. Uh-uh. So, yes. <laughs> that is actually, I have found, actually one of the tenets in a lot of circles that, you know, as it was in the days of Noah, um, the ones that went into the ark that were saved, and it were the wicked that were, you know, wiped off the face of the earth. Mm-hmm. So, needless to say, I sat there and listened to this video all the way through. Um, he was saying that lights were out for spiritual Israel and why, while he tried to say that he wasn't preaching replacement theology, in fact, he really was. Um, but anyway, and he said something to the effect, well, you know, if I'm wrong about this, I don't want to wake up because my life is too good living with what I believe. Huh. So I had, no, I, I had no idea what to go and Google, I had no frame of reference for Kingdom Now, uh, Dominion Theology, New Apostolic Reformation. He mentioned something in the video about he believed that a lot of them were going to go down as apostolic reformers and uh, talked a lot about, you know, taking dominion over the earth. So all I, all I could do was sit down and Google Dr. Lynn Hiles. And when I did that, everything that came up was regarding this Kingdom Now theology, New Apostolic Reformation, Dominionism. And my first thought was that I've got to warn my pastors about this guy. I'm thinking surely they cannot believe what this guy is preaching. So anyway, um, I, it literally just rocked my world at that point. I started doing all of this research, and I, you know, thought uh, as I continued going to church, uh, a couple of times the pastor was talking about Lynn Hiles coming back to the church at the end of the month and saying, "Now he's going to be sharing some things that are a little different with you this time." Huh. But I just want to assure you that. Everything that he is sharing with you will be the truth. Now, keep in mind, I was in a denominational church, and I knew exactly what their beliefs were, and I knew that the church that I was in, that this was not anywhere close to their doctrine. So I'm thinking, okay, I I just remember knowing that, thinking to myself, well, you know, I'm not really concerned with what anybody believes, but when I walk into a church that is a particular denomination, that's what I expect to be taught. And now all of a sudden I'm realizing that this is not what is going on in the church. Right. So I waited until he came to the church. Uh, They had a revival the end of February, 1st of March, Friday night, um, Saturday night, and Sunday night. Uh, on Sunday morning, I had been asked to sing. And I had been in San Diego, and I remember on the way back, the pastor's daughter texting me and saying, Joy, um, do you know what you're going to be singing Sunday morning? Because um, 
that way my father can announce it when you sing. And I had decided that I would sing a song called The Mercy Seat, which was the first song that I had sang when I had gone there. And I pretty much knew that that Sunday morning and Sunday night, that was going to be the last time that I would ever be in that church again. Mm-hmm. And when she texted me to ask me, she goes, remember, this is a grace conference that we're having. Almost like, so make sure that <laughs> the song that you sing goes along with, you know, uh, the grace theme. So I texted her back and said, this is what I'm going to sing. And she goes, oh, okay, that's good. So Saturday night when I went to church, um, before, and we, my husband and I had gone on Friday night and we noticed a few things that he said. Of course, now I'm paying very, very close attention, and I remember kind of like jabbing my husband in the ribs a couple times, and he <laughs> looked at me like, eh, yeah, I, I get what he's saying. And on Saturday night uh, when I went, uh, right, before the, uh, right before Dr. Hiles got up to uh, teach, uh, the pastor um, introduced him, and uh, right before he got up, the sound system, they were having problems with the sound system that night, and it made this really loud noise. And when uh, Dr. Hiles got up right before he started to preach, he says, wow, for a minute I thought the rapture took place and we all got left. And then he just said very quickly, well, I won't get into that right now. But he did end up preaching that night, that Sunday night, the same message, a little bit lighter version, uh, although added some other things in that were even more disturbing, uh, preached the same message that I had heard on the video. <clears throat> and he literally mocked the second coming of Christ, him coming back with uh, his robes dipped, the robe dipped in blood, um, mo- you know, the literal Antichrist, the second coming, all while the pastors were there saying amen and hallelujah. So anyway, I got up. If I had to do it over again, I wished I had stood up in church that night and said something. It was very hard for me to stay in my seat. And let me just go back. Prior to him coming, I had had a former pastor's son listened to the video and I said would you please listen to this and make sure that I'm not missing something here that I'm hearing what I'm hearing and he texted me back that night and he said Joy he said he's teaching replacement theology he's a preterist he's using horrible allegorical examples and very very lazy hermeneutics <laughs> and so I guess I just wanted that confirmation, you know, that, okay, something is really wrong here. And my and the pastor's son, uh, my former pastor's son, had said, Joy, I found it hard myself to sit there and listen uh, to this message. So I left that night. It was a Sunday night. And on Monday morning, I texted the pastor's wife and said, um, can I meet with either you or the pastor, both of you? That was on Monday morning. And on Thursday, by that Thursday afternoon, I was sitting face-to-face across from the pastor's wife. 
And in the interim of him coming, of course, I had start, started doing all this research and started seeing all these names, Rick Joyner, Graham Cook, Patricia King. And um, as I looked at some of the, my pastor's wife's friends, I noticed that some of these were on her list. Um, I'm not sure if Bill Hammond was on her list, but I ended up finding a post where um, apparently back in the early 80s, uh, she had said that she was called, trained, and released into her prophetic ministry by Bill Hammond. Oh, okay. Well, keep in mind, as I'm sitting across from her, I start to have this conversation about my misgivings, about um, the message that had been preached Sunday night, and she kind of, I, I brought up the kingdom now, and she kind of skirted around the issue, kind of like only half, you know, that I, yes, this is kind of what it is, and almost alluding to that she didn't really know what um, Dr. Hiles was going to preach, and that, yes, she also had thought that he had said a few little things that were kind of out there. And I said to her, I said, well, you know, I said, if that happened in my church, I said, I would make sure that I cleared that up immediately. I said, because that obviously does not go along with the Church of God doctrine. Mm. And so we got into the stuff. Uh, I, I believe that um, uh, we almost got in a little bit to the Seven Mountain Mandate that he had kind of alluded to in the video also. And... Um, she couldn't understand. I, I told her, I says, well, you know, I'm going to have to leave the church, and she couldn't understand why I needed to leave the church just because we had doctrinal differences. <laughs> and I thought that in itself was very telling to me of their ability or their uh, willingness to just <laughs> accept Anything that came along, I would later find out that Dr. Heil had been their mentor for some 20 to 25 years. Oh, wow. And when I asked her about the NAR, I, I just said, I said, can you tell me what you know about the NAR? And she looked at me and said, the NAR? And I said, the New Apostolic Reformation and she looked me right in the eye, and she said, I have no idea what that is. And, and I'm just curious, do you, you think uh, she was telling the truth? No. Okay. No. No. Hmm. And uh, by the end of my testimony, you'll understand why I know that to be a <laughs> fact. And not only that, within 20 minutes of me walking out of there, stuff was getting posted uh, she had posted something about, well, you know, something about friends, and you just have to separate the wheat from the chaff. And as the days went on, I would notice kind of like a good cop, bad cop being played out, uh, kind of things a little bit intimidating. But then on the other hand, um, my husband owns an automotive repair shop, and now all of a sudden everybody's taking their car and, you know, almost kind of like trying to smooth things over but intimidate, and so everybody was taking their car to my husband's shop and praising about, oh, how wonderful it was, and 
I, I told my husband, I said, I feel like I stepped over into the twilight zone. And <laughs> he's like, yeah, you know, Joy, he says, I, he says, I, I understand where you're coming from. He says, I, I kind of get it. He says, it's, it's very, it's very strange. So anyway, um, as time went on, uh, I think if you remember when Maria was talking about, you know, how there's always that one couple in the church that I kind of call them like the inner sanctum couple. And um, the husband of this couple was the one kind of, you know, um, posting some things that were a little bit intimidating. And I talked to a couple pastor friends, and about two or three of them had encouraged me to call the bishop of the Arizona district of this church. And I literally, in the beginning, I was fearful. I I really had a fear. I'm not really sure why, but um, I just was just very wary and, and was so shocked by what I had learned and all of the stuff that I had come to find out that uh, it really just kind of shook me to my very core that that this could be going on in what I believe to be a fundamental Pentecostal church. So, um, you know, my husband being a little bit more pragmatic, he, you know, I had told him that I'd had a couple pastors and stuff encourage me to do that and he wasn't comfortable with it, and I just said, okay, well, I'm just going to step back and just see how things play out. Things just kind of seemed to get worse. I was having a hard time dealing with it. So at some point, my husband called the pastor, and we all four met together. And I thought maybe, you know, I can get them to either understand or kind of just clear the air and get all of this out in the open, um, the pastor of the church was always posting um, Bill Johnson, who at the time, I didn't even know who that was, and I probably wasn't even paying attention to what he was posting. Uh, it, you know, obviously at this point, I should have. But anyway, um, on April 14th, this would be a couple months, this was in 2015, after I had met with the pastor's wife, we met at the library, and um, my husband kind of opened up the meeting, and we um, started talking, and um, I, you know, questioned again what their beliefs were, and um, my husband had admonished him about posting Bill Johnson things because he said, you know, you have um, a lot of young people in the church, and while maybe you're posting things that are a little bit tame, uh, you know, I've seen some videos from stuff going on up there, and obviously you may be have a, an impression on some of the younger people in the church, and they would be seeking out other stuff that's going on up there. And I brought up the fact of, um, you know, the stuff going on up at um, um, Bethel Redding about the gold dust and the feathers, and the pastor looked at me and said, well, you know, I talked about the gold dust and the feathers falling, and he says, well, what if they are? And Hmm. I just, at this point, I didn't know what to say, and they kind of went on to tell me that, you know, they were just very open to uh, new revelation, and, um, you know, they would welcome anything that anybody would have to say uh, if they thought that it could, you know, edify the body of Christ. And 
I mentioned to the pastor's wife, I said, you know, when we met the first time, I said, I asked you regarding the new apostolic reformation. And I said, you told me that you had no idea what that was. Now, when I mentioned it to her, I hadn't mentioned any list of names or, you know, anything like that to her. But in that meeting, she said, well, yeah, I do know, I do know what that is not just necessarily with um, the people that you think are associated with it. But she finally did admit in that second meeting that um, she did know what the New Apostolic Reformation was. Um, So then I asked um, the pastor, I said, can you tell me what your belief in the rapture is? And he said to me, well, he said, now I know that this denomination I was in believes in a pre-tribulation rapture. I just I know that's what they believe. And he said to me, well, I don't really like to get into that. But he said, I guess if it happens, my feet will come up off the ground. I'm just not sure how high. Huh. And I brought up uh, this rapture of the wicked, and he was very well aware of that. He says, well, you know, he says, um, in the days of Noah, he says it was the wicked that were taken off of the earth. So anyway, um, the meeting just kind of devolved from there. It didn't go well. The pastor's wife just wanted to know when all of this was going to be over. Uh, she said that she knew that I had been talking to a couple of people in the church and that they didn't appreciate it, almost kind of like an intimidation of telling me, leave my church members alone. And I made it a point. The only people that I spoke with were people that I already knew who had maybe attended another church with or had a long history with. And that was maybe two conversations uh, just because I was so shocked, you know, at what I had heard. I wasn't running around to everybody, you know, saying, oh, my goodness, you know, or do, do you know what's going on there? Um, but anyway, at some point, um, as they were talking about all this new stuff that was going on, the pastor just looked at me and he said, Joy, you just haven't gotten there yet. Oh, come on. It's it, verbatim. You just haven't gotten there yet. Hmm. So as the meeting closed, um, my husband was sitting across from the pastor and I was sitting across from um, his wife. And as we were getting ready to close and leave, Um, I think Jackie and I were having a little bit of a conversation and I kind of out of the corner of my eye looked over to see the pastor saying something about, you know, well, he appreciated Russell being there or something. And later on, I would ask my husband about it and, and he agreed that there was almost like this kind of exchange from the pastor to my husband to like, I know I can expect you to keep her reined in. Ugh. That once once we leave out of here, this is going to be the last that we hear about this. So my husband and I had gone to that meeting in separate cars that day. Um, needless to say, I left out of there pretty much a wreck. I came home and didn't talk to my husband the rest of the day till he got home, and he came home and we were standing 
Uh, I was standing by the island in the kitchen, and he says, Joy, I just have one question for you. And I said, okay. And he says, as you are standing here right now, I said, are you telling me that, that they are lying? And I said, yes. I said, obviously, you know, they were truthful about some of the things they believe, but uh, they were talking about just, you know, they're just called to preach the message of grace. And, and he says, okay. He says, I just, I just kind of want to know where things are. So anyway, as time progressed, um, you know, I still knew that at some point I was going to have to stand up and, and say something. Um, my husband didn't feel comfortable with me picking up the phone and, and calling uh, the Arizona bishop. So I said, okay, God. I said, I'm going to honor my husband, and I'm going to sit back here, and you're just going to have to deal with this situation. So um, I would end up within the next, oh, probably two to three weeks getting two completely unsolicited confirmations about what was going on at the church. And I will share just one because one of the ones, I'm not really sure that the person would want me to share, but about that I will just say that I ended up having a conversation with someone on a day that had the pastor's wife been able to meet with this person, I would not have been with that person on this particular day. And when I asked her how well she knew the pastor's wife, um, she, without me asking why I wanted this information, she shared with me exactly how long they had known each other, but confirmed that they were into the kingdom now doctrine. Under my breath, I was like, thank you, God. So there was the first confirmation. The second confirmation would come, I don't know, a couple weeks later, my sister had come over to visit me, and um, she happened to call a former pastor of that same church. She used to go over there and play the piano for him occasionally. And she had, had remained friends with him and had called because a mutual friend had died. And during the conversation, he asked her where she was attending church. She said, well, we had been going to this church over here, and then we started going to the church where he used to be the pastor. And she says, but we left, she said, because there are some strange things going on over there. And he said to her, yes, he said, the pastors over there are into the kingdom now doctrine. And he says, I warned the denomination, I warned the former bishop about them and questioned as to why they were being allowed to take that church. Mm. And yes. So after that point, I went to my husband and I said, okay, 
I said, I have gotten two unsolicited confirmations about what is going on over there. And he just looked at me and he said, you do whatever you need to do. Hmm. And so, like I say, I had just sat back just waiting. And, you know, he's just much more pragmatic and he saw the Celebrate Recovery and the things that were going on and all he could think of was, you know, it was it was uh, difficult for him to kind of see what would be the purpose in me making this phone call. But I knew based on the things that I had heard that um, it was a phone call that I was going to make. So um, probably, I guess it was... Um, somewhere around the end of April, I picked up the phone and I had actually talked to the former pastor. My sister said, you know, um, Joy would really like to talk to you. I had a long conversation with him. He explained to me exactly what had gone down and how he had had this conversation with the former um, bishop. And But the bishop had come back and said, well, I spoke to them and they assure me that they're not teaching this kingdom now doctrine and nothing got done. So he said to me, Joy, why don't you call the bishop? I can see how heavy a weight this is on your shoulder. Call him and get it off your shoulders. Just let him deal with it. I said, okay. So I called the bishop, and we probably were on the phone about an hour and a half, and he seemed very happy that I had called. I explained to him pretty much exactly what I had spoken with about, you know, here and um, he said to me, well, you know, he went down the list of doctrinal beliefs of the church, which I knew what they were because it was exactly what I was, had been raised in. He assured me of what their beliefs were, that they did not support this kingdom now doctrine, uh, this, you know, latter rain stuff. And uh, he said, but he says, I can't do anything unless you give me a formal complaint. And I thought to myself, why do I need to write a formal complaint? You've had a former pastor warn already. Why, why do I have to get involved with this? I realize now more than likely, number one, the former pastor that had warned probably never thought that the bishop would tell me that I needed to make a complaint and the bishop probably, probably never thought that I would do it and that I would just go away and that would be the end of it. So anyway, um, I ended up um, making a complaint. I pretty much just laid out everything um, that had happened and in the meantime I you know, researched, learned more about the New Apostolic Reformation and, and everything that was going on. And, um, you know, I just, I waited. At some point, I, I, I texted him and I asked him, um, when you make a determination on this, will you um, let me know? And he said, yes, that he would let me know. So, anyway... Um, in September, uh, I think I made the. I, I think I mailed off the complaint probably around May 8th of 2015, and um, 
on September 3rd of 2015, um, I received a letter from him, and he affirmed his commitment to the pastors. Uh, He said he believed that they were people of integrity and doctrinal fidelity. Uh, He reminded me that they had a very successful Celebrate Recovery program and a recovery house for women. And he said that the pastors, you know, had affirmed their beliefs to him uh, of their, you know, belief in the rapture and um, that, um, you know, that he was going to, he was going to support them. And if I can go back just a little bit prior to this time, I had an occasion where I needed to text Jackie regarding something that uh, someone had asked her about them teaching the Kingdom Now doctrine, and she had texted back this person and said, well, not the way Joy researches it. And I had texted her, and I said, well, you know, Jackie, I said, you really can't have it both ways. I said, either you believe what Lynn Hiles is teaching or you don't. And she texted me back, and I still have the text to this day, uh, and she said that, um, called me a Pharisee, said that I was spreading hate, that I needed to look at my own fruit, and uh, that, you know, uh, she refused to be intimidated by me, and um, and that she was just going to continue to contend for the faith. Oh, said that I was, uh, I forget what the exact terminology words, uh, what it was, but I think I was somehow emotionally disturbed that I had a deep emotional problem. <laughs> and wow. this was all in a all in a text to me. So hmm. anyway, um, after that, um, of course, I was, you know, I, I thought to myself what I really honestly believed would happen. And in the meantime, I had spoken with people, you know, at the headquarters of this particular denomination. They were telling me how this stuff had invaded all the churches in Canada, and there like was just nothing they could do about it. And but they did not support it. Um, I had seen uh, Dr. Hiles go into another church of the, the same denomination in uh, another state. Um, had called the bishop and said, "Hey, this guy's going into another one of your churches." Oh, okay, well, you know, I'll call the bishop there, which I, I'm sure that he didn't because I had a conversation with this bishop myself, and, you know, his answer was, well, uh, yeah, I'll look into it, and, and I'll, I'll take care of the, the churches in my area. And I'm thinking, well, that's part of the problem is that everybody just wants to take care of their own church, and nobody will speak up about what's going on. So anyway, um, like I say, in September of 2015, I got – the thing, you know, saying that he was going to support them and stand behind them. Um, So at that point, I just did my best to kind of just walk away from it. But in the meantime, um, I kept doing research. In I think it was about December of last year, about 2015, I saw a post by the pastor's wife that they were getting ready to attend something called, I don't know, Night of Glory or um, Glory Night of Wonders or something up at this church in um, Arizona, Goodyear, Arizona. And 
the people in attendance there were, of course, a lot of the people that I had just mentioned, you know, the Cindy Jacobs, the Peter, C. Peter Wagner, um, all of these NAR people. And um, I thought, well, she was saying that they were getting ready to leave and go attend this. Well, this particular uh, event was live, was, uh, live streamed and also on YouTube. So I decided to watch it, and the quote-unquote pastor apostle, this is not only a church but an apostolic network in Goodyear, Arizona. And um, the quote-unquote pastor apostle got up and started going through all of the counties in Arizona and welcoming everybody, naming all the different counties. And I could see sitting on the front row... Uh, my my ex-pastor, his wife, and the husband of the couple that were very close to them in the church. And this pastor apostle was calling out all the counties and talked about his radicals that were from Yuma, and that he had that he had spent the day hanging out with. So at that point, you know, I had my connection, you know, to this new apostolic reformation. And I continued to pay attention to this network because they would post everything and, uh, you know, was able to watch the things that were going on up there. In February of this year, um, I I think, I guess, initially I had expected that maybe when all of this transpired, that this denomination would come and tell them, you know, you can stay in this building, you can have this church, but you can't be under the covering of our denomination anymore. Because I I was pretty sure that I had very well laid out everything very clearly, not to mention that another pastor had warned them. So in February of this year, I saw a post on Facebook where uh, the pastor's wife and daughter were getting ready to attend something called a Glory Intercession Convergence. And uh, this was in February. And a few days later, I would see a post uh, from their daughter stating that um, it was a a picture of her mom and... uh, her father wasn't there, the, you know, the pastor wasn't there, but she was stating, here's my mom and my dad. They are getting commissioned um, by this apostolic network. This is a big step for them. When I saw that, I thought to myself, wow, maybe this denomination really did do something because how can they be commissioned by this NAR apostolic network and this apostle there aligns got his commissioning from Chuck Pierce he aligns with Cheon Cindy Jacobs yep yes and so I thought how can this be so I thought to myself you know what maybe after all maybe they really did do something so I thought to myself I'm going to go onto the website of this denomination and I'm going to check to see if this church here is still listed 
as part of this denomination. Now, keep in mind, I've just seen a picture of the pastor's wife uh, getting some certificate or something from this apostle. And I go onto the denomination's website, and what do I see but a picture of my former pastor who has been elevated to an area area overseer in this denomination. Yep, and that's how it's done. And that pretty much um, is where the story, I don't want to say really ends, because with mine it's been just (laughs) progressive ongoing. It's it's still Uh, going. Yes, and just one other thing. um, um, I just found out that they have also implemented just recently, within the last month, they have implemented G12. Okay. Interesting. So that is my story. And that is where David would come in. Exactly. (laughs) We're going to have to talk to David on the side uh, because, yeah, I, I know I've been asked a few times to look into G12. And I have. I've spent a little bit of time, and I realized, gosh, I, I really should find somebody who's come out of this movement because there's a lot of secrets. When you look at it online, uh, it, it's almost like trying to study Freemasonry. In fact, it's probably more hush-hush than even Freemasonry. Uh, it seems yeah. like everything's under wraps. And so yeah. you almost need somebody who has gone through the training, as David did. It sounds like he... he uh, he came out before he completely finished his training, but I think he'll have a lot to say. So fascinating. You know, something else you brought up, uh, Joy, is uh, uh, you mentioned that uh, some, wasn't it your pastor or was it Lynn Hiles, uh, who mentioned that uh, the, the rapture could be or probably is going to be the wicked. Yes. Well, have you ever heard that there are many amongst the New Age movement, and I've also seen this coming from uh, Theosophy, uh, which has a lot of overlap with the New Age movement, that uh, there's going to be, basically, they have their own version of the rapture. And they see it as um, those, uh, those individuals whose vibrations and belief systems are not in tune with the coming new age will need to be removed and taken to uh, another location where basically they get re-educated and then they're brought back because their their vibrations they're they're holding people back here on this planet. So right. you can almost see a counter rapture theory there where if there is whether it's pre, post, or whatever, the timing of the rapture, I, I don't, I don't debate too hotly on the subject. In fact, I, I kind of, over the years, I've, I've bounced between uh, various positions. But whatever the case, I, I mean, the rapture is going to happen. <laughs> it's going to happen, and when it does, you can see that the new age is going to be right there with a counter story. Uh, so, right. well, it's kind of interesting. Yeah, that is that is very interesting. I, I think in their mind that because they believe that they are trying to set up God's kingdom for him, and obviously it doesn't seem like they're doing a very good job as they keep expecting things are going to get better and better, um, 
I truly believe that in their minds they think, well, they'll get it to a certain point and then to finish it off and make it ready, if God just takes all the wicked people off the earth, then it'll be ready for, you know, them to welcome Jesus back and, and hand over uh, the kingdom to him. In, in the video that I viewed, Lynn Hiles actually says, I would really just assume that Jesus stay in heaven because it's really just easy, easier for me to reach him by praying, and then he says, than having to look for him in Palestine. Huh. Yeah. Wow. That, uh, okay. <laughs> not, even, not even Israel. <laughs> I'll have to look for him in Palestine. Wow. Well, that is yeah. fascinating. Okay. Huh. It, it, it just doesn't sound like somebody who would be reading the scriptures, somebody who would actually be applying any kind of biblical hermeneutic to the Bible would say something like that. Um, huh, fascinating. You know what, and let, let me just share one final thing uh, in regards to Dr. Lynn Hiles. Uh, he re- I don't want to say recently, I know this year that he held a conference, and I don't know if he's done it in the past, but it is called a spirit and truth conference and um, you know he is doing this conference with Danny Silk out of Bethel and um, Jonathan Welton who has been listed as one of the top ten up and coming NAR apostles so you kind of got this commingle of the kingdom now dominionist um, NAR, and he is doing this uh, particular spirit and truth type thing with um, Danny Silk and another NAR apostle now. And it'll just keep going. Joy, that was that's fascinating. It'll be interesting to see how this all plays out. Uh, Merle, you said you had some things you wanted to uh, add. I have to give you just a little bit of a preview, but my story is a lot shorter. So um, there's just a little bit that I think your your listeners might be interested in as far as connecting the dots between the, the Kundalini and Hinduism and the Kundalini and Nar. Well, I was not raised in a Christian home, and after I graduated high school, I fell into the, the hippie movement. And looking back, the Beatles were music was really my gospel and um, I was one of those screaming girls that you see in the old videos (laughs) and I was just captivated by the Beatles but unknowingly I sort of was always one step behind them following them from drugs into Eastern religion and then dabbled somewhat in New Age and the occult and I was initiated into two Hindu orders took a Hindu name, and I embraced the teachings of the gurus that I sat under. Um, I was told that if I wanted a deeper relationship with God and to be sure that I would come back a better person, I had to pray enough and fast enough and meditate enough and sit in the silence and chant enough And basically, I was told that my spiritual destiny was put on me 
It was really up to me. So, um, um, I, it, it started out with doing yoga exercises. So for people who think that that's very innocent and very um, benign, I guess I'll say, um, it kept getting deeper and deeper until this ashram that we were involved in actually started getting involved in kundalini yoga. And I witnessed, I didn't part, partake because it, it scared me, it really did. At the time, I witnessed people trying to activate the serpent power and um, have it ascend up their backbone or their chakras, as they call it. Sure. And I watched them shake and jerk and scream and laugh and go into all kinds of epileptic-looking contortions after they were touched by the guru on their forehead. Uh. It's called Shaktipat. And um, like I said, I didn't personally partake, but it just raised flags, uh, and, and we, we left. We just left the whole thing of Hinduism. It was just very bizarre. So, um, but we... But we continue to dabble in New Age, um, <clears throat> and our search led us to a church where it was a mixture of Christianity and New Age, so it, it felt very familiar to be there. There's a big picture of Jesus hanging on the wall, <clears throat> and they they uh, greeted us cheerfully, and we sang Christian hymns. Um, but then after the announcements were made, the, um, leader went around and told everyone what dead spirits were loitering around them. And, you know, it's, it's really strange because I, when I hear about the things going on in NAR now, um, it, it, um, I, I, I remembered back at that time in, in my life when, I was seeing that in in the world, and now I'm seeing it in in the church, the mixture. So um, we um, we gave birth. I, I gave birth to a, a a daughter, a beautiful daughter, and her name was Glory. And um, I was at an astrology class one night, and I came back, and we found that she had died in her sleep, and the medical authorities determined that it was a crib death. And um, it it really caused me to really stop and look at what we were doing and, and what we were believing. And it was a, a man in a local evangelical church, an old man uh, that came out and ministered the love of Jesus to, to me. And you really couldn't talk to me about the Bible or the, or um, scripture or doctrines, but it was really the love of Jesus that I really needed at that time in my life. Um, so we got saved. Um, my husband and I both got saved at that time. And the, the words that I read, I started reading the Bible, and the words, it is finished, just became so special to me because I realized that all the striving that I had been doing um, it was just so, I, I, I was so at peace um, realizing that 
what Jesus did on the cross, and that although it is up to me to live a life that's pleasing to him, um, it wasn't all put on me to my spiritual destiny was no longer my responsibility, that he had done it for me. So we got radically saved. And um, so we started attending church, and um, I should have known better when I, year, years later, when I started hearing things, like if you want to be healed, you have to exercise your faith more. <laughs> and yeah. if you want to be closer to God, you have to soak enough and get your gifts activated, which is a word that I heard in Hinduism as well, um, Hmm. that you have to sit under the anointing enough and learn how to prophesy enough, and the list goes on and on. And I did all those things. I I did it all for the next several years. If there was a party at church, I was there. Um, I think uh, a lot of people know what that means. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the things that I was too afraid to do in the ashram that I was in, I began to do in the church. And I started uh, doing, you know, all, the, all the, the things, the shaking, the jerking, the laughing. And it's amazing, and it's difficult for me to believe that I didn't connect those dots, but I didn't. And that's how deceptive it all is. Wow. Yeah. I, no, I, I've, I had very similar experiences. And, uh, you know, as, as I kind of mentioned, I came out of the New Age uh, as well as flat out just occult practicing witchcraft. And um, so many of the things I experienced in the world of the occult seemed to be happening at this church I was at. And for whatever reason, I didn't get it either. It just didn't compute. And and it took a while for me yeah. to start putting this stuff together. And, you know, I think the most powerful thing for me was simply reading the Bible. When you're, when you're like a typical person in a lot of these congregations, and I hate to say it, but so many of them don't read their Bible very often, or they'll take little bits and pieces... But when you really go deep and you just, hey, I'm going to read this thing cover to cover. I just want to I just want to know what's in here. Like people are calling it God's word. I want to know what it's all about. And you start reading it through and it doesn't take too long before you realize, wait a minute. All this stuff we're doing is not in here. There's not even a foreshadow of it. There's no hinting of it. It's not there at all. And then then you you have to come to a, a fork in the road and say, okay, am I going to follow the Bible? Uh, and, yeah. you know, so many times Christ and the real apostles who, uh, and well, just authors of the scriptures who uh, were definitely being led by the Holy Spirit, they stressed over and over and over doctrine, doctrine, doctrine. You know, take heed and don't listen to false prophets and test all things. And hey, look at those Bereans. They're te- they're even checking out Paul. And guess what? He's an apostle. And they're checking him out. And and Paul commends them. And all these things. And then you have this other crowd that says, no, we're going to do a new thing. God is, quote unquote, God is doing a new thing. And they want to take you down this other road. You have to make a choice. Am I going to follow Christ and what the Holy Spirit wrote through these uh, amazing men and women, or men who wrote the scriptures, or 
uh, am I going to follow after these men who repeatedly make false prophecies and make terrible mistakes and uh, teach all manner of crazy doctrines and to, I, you know, I hate to say it this way, but sometimes even make a fool of themselves um, on stage, acting drunk, laughing hysterically. Uh, people are barking like dogs and roaring like lions and some women are on the floor uh, giving birth to something yeah. in the spirit. And um, <clears throat> I mean, it's, it, at times it can be a, just a full on circus. Uh, it, it, it sometimes it feels like uh, the the WCW uh, fake wrestling stuff that you see on TV. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in fact, some of those preachers can sound like uh, some of those guys, those wrestlers that grab the microphone and flex and scream into the microphone. Uh, it, it gets crazy, uh, yes, it, it, it does. It, and sometimes you even feel like some of it's staged. Uh, so anyway, yeah. Well, well, you know the the uh, man, the mantra of the '90s was more. There was the mindset was there was always more. There was always the, the next anointing and the next speaker and the next prophetic word. And you know, when I first uh, came to the realization about all this, I couldn't even conceive of how I was going to give all of that up because it was so much a part of me. Oh yeah. Um, but I don't miss it at all. In fact, I I feel like I finally found peace with God because <laughs> I can really enjoy a relationship with him because I'm not so busy striving to go after the next thing and the next new thing and I can finally enter into his rest and that's so glorious. Yes, yes, amen. Tell you what, yeah, coming out of that there was a period of time, yes, there was a healing period of time where you just had to get your head on straight because you were filled with so much pain, uh, uh, all the people turning on you. But yeah, once you once that passed or started to pass, there was this liberation that just washes over you and your relationship with the Lord just goes absolutely uh, uh, just crazy. I mean, you go so much more in depth with the Lord as you really start finding out who is who? Who he's you know what he, is he about, and uh, learning about him it's it's just awesome. Your relation get re relationship gets so much more close with the Lord after coming out of that, and not having to constantly strive and strive and strive and you know pray until something happens and uh, you know yeah. trying to whip yourself up in a frenzy during the worship services at church. I don't know if you're familiar with that whole thing, but. You know, you're working. Timing the pump. <laughs> exactly. No, no. Can I that expression? Yeah, go ahead. Can I interject something? Sure. Okay. I want to go back to theosophy just for a minute. Sure. Um, theosophy is um, was brought to America into the moneyed groups in New York. Sure. By Madame Blavansky. Yes. And her general theory for theosophy claims came from her teachings from India, Meryl. Mm -hmm. So um, the general theory of theosophy claims to derive its significant data by way of intuition or through revelation from seers or masters. Are we not seeing that in the New Apostolic Reformation? Yes. 
I I yeah. think so. Uh, you know, they yeah. the within Theosophy they would call it ascended masters. Uh, within the right. New Apostolic Reformation, they would say an angel told me or or God told me. Or what's coming through their prophets sometimes is yeah. really um, not cool. There you go. Yeah. And um, the thing of it is, and I'm I'm going to stop talking after I say this. Hitler was a student of Madame Blavatsky. He was a strong occultist with strong um, theosophy teaching. And look at the fruit of what he wrought in his lifetime. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he was he was an interesting guy. I mean, yeah, he blended elements of the occult in with. Uh, uh, yet he was very much into uh, uh, Nietzsche and uh, Marx and uh, uh, very much bought into uh, the theory of evolution as well. So, yeah, he was he was an interesting guy, but everything he believed was ungodly, uh, kind of a mess. Yes, it was, and it produced a mess. Oh, it sure did. And it sure did. And so, you know... Our prayer is that God would keep us in patient endurance in these days to see and speak. And I think that's very important that we warn, just like Joy stood up and, and warned, and the former pastor warned. And I think we're in that season now. Okay, well, there you have it, guys. That is the end of this series. Next week, we'll be picking up with something completely different, uh, so look forward to that. Um, also, uh, I am toying with the idea of uh, putting all of my podcasts onto one jump drive. Uh, I think it will fit on a 32 gigabyte jump drive. I'm not totally sure, but I'm thinking about the idea. I've been toying with this for months now of uh, putting everything on one jump drive. Uh, I've even been checking out some uh, different jump drive manufacturers and uh, getting pricing and finding out exactly how I can pull this off. Is this something you guys are interested in? In other words, uh, it would be all of my podcasts, all on one jump drive, uh, I'd be selling it from, well, I'd probably end up putting it up on Amazon because that would probably be the easiest way to do it so that I don't have to uh, send these out constantly fulfilling the orders. I can let Amazon fulfill it. Um, now, keep in mind, any one of you can just go to Sermon Audio and get every single one of my podcasts 100% free, okay? <laughs> but I've been emailed by many of you uh, that you're like, man, you know, you got to go through and download, 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 you know, and click the button a million times and go from screen to screen. And some of you would just prefer to have it all in one spot. I get that. So uh, if any of you guys are interested in that, contact me on Facebook, shoot me an email, whatever, and let me know if that's something you'd be interested in. It's not like I'm going to be harvesting your names or, or anything like that. I'm just I just want to know some feedback. Is that something you guys are interested in? Should I drop enough money to buy a hundred of these jump drives and um, you know blow them up? 
So, anyway, get back to me on that. And with that, I love you guys, and we'll see you next week.